Sunday night, if you weren't with us, we did a panel discussion and had several people up here sitting on the platform who have been through it within the last few years and they were giving some input on even the thoughts and how they prepared, how they approached to that. And so we're trying to make this very practical and I'd like to continue with that practicality here this evening and talk about just some major uh, thoughts and then give you some practical applications that may be able to help, may be helpful to you. The reality is we all have to deal with this at some time. Death is a part of life. And so we're going to have to deal with that in our family, whether it be distant relatives, grandparents, parents, whether it be uh, the most tragic would be for a parent with uh, losing a child, or whether it be in a situation that so there's a co-worker, somebody very close to us, or we've had it here in our church, quite a few different individuals who have had illnesses that have led into a situation where there's been a passing. The idea in Scripture is this, that precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his children. The idea that this is a precious thing, not to us as much as to the Lord, according to that text, in the sense that the Lord is looking forward to the opportunity to see you face to face, to have you there. And as well, he's going to elevate you and me to a spot where all of a sudden we're, we're tied here. We have all these concerns, and it's hard for us to let go. I remember one of the dear saints who said that years ago. She told my wife when she was sitting with her in, in the giving the opportunity for the family to come to church. So she was sitting and doing the vigil uh, during the Sunday evening so the family could be here. And she was telling Deb, she said, one of the really, really neat things about having a terminal illness is it helps you to learn to let go and to just release yeah, and not be so tied to different situations. And frankly, that's what aging does for us as well. It gets us to a point where we're ready to let go of things. And so it can be precious in, in the sight of the Lord and in some cases, but for the most of us, it's not so precious. We're not so anxious for it. We're going to fight for every breath we can keep, and we want to do that, and that's understandable. But we know in Philippians chapter 1, he makes this comment. He says that this idea of being in heaven, look in the text. It's an interesting text. It is something that, that makes us, to some degree, have an anxiousness. He says, according to verse uh, chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 20, according to my earnest expectation, my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by the way I live or how I die. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is, what does your Bible read? It's gain. It is something that is going to be even better when I pass away. And I, he's not talking about the insurance cash in. Okay. He's not talking about, you know, this is going to be, you know, something hypothetical. He's saying very practically, there, it's going to be of great benefit. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my, my labor, he says. Yet what I shall choose, I, I'm not so sure. Verse 53, for I am in a strait betwixt two things. I have a desire to depart. The word literally used here is to set sail, to all of a sudden put the, to release the anchor and move on. It's that whole idea of leaving the harbor. And then he goes on and he says, I have that desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. There's the hope we have. We have the hope that we know this. It is going to be far better for us to be with Christ than it is right here. We know that. We have that up here. But as was mentioned Sunday night, it's hard to let go. Okay? And we understand that part too. And let's make a comment here. At the same time, is it wrong or unspiritual to still want to be with loved ones? And, and, I, and, and I know that sometimes we hear this, that you, you know, it's so anxious, we should be so ready to go be with the Lord that we're ready to let go of everything. I'm not at that point. I'm, I'm not that spiritual to say, I want to let go of all my kids and grandkids and just go. I still want to be with them. In fact, I'm going to venture to say that there are some here who are saying, I would like to experience some facets of life 
that are for the majority of people but I haven't experienced. I would understand that. I was anxious and I prayed for the rapture to come in the beginning of June 1978. That was the year. Okay, just to remind you. In June of 1978, the first part of that month of June, I prayed that the rapture would be delayed for a few weeks because there was an event I wanted to have in my life. I wanted to get married to my wife. And so isn't that ungodly? To think I, I want that to I want that to be delayed. And then and then when we found out that we were expecting our first child, then it was like, Lord, it would be kind of cool. Just delay the rapture. I know, I know that you come any moment, but I'd like to have the experience of being a parent. Now when we were expecting our fourth child, then it was come Lord quickly, even so come. Okay. But you know what I mean? Yes, no? Okay, we, so to say to somebody you shouldn't have those types of feelings, well, wait a minute. Look what Paul writes. He says in verse 23, I'm in a strait betwixt two things. I have a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. Look at verse 24. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is what? It's more needful, okay? I wanted to be around for raising my kids. Not that she is incompetent, but I wanted to be able to contribute, and to have that responsibility. And so to say at the same time, I want to be with the Lord, but I also recognize there's some ties here. I think that's, that's a reality for all of us. We have to remember that God can use a death. He can use an illness to have great impact in this life and the next. Remember 1 Corinthians 15? I think it's verse 29. He says that some have been baptized because of the death of other saints. Because their testimony, they have gotten saved and followed the Lord in baptism. Isn't this an example that you have used in sharing the gospel, the thief on the cross? What a fabulous illustration. I'm so glad his story is told in Scripture because it tells that the thief on the cross gives the assurance somebody could get saved on their proverbial what? Deathbed, yeah. Somebody can get saved without having to be baptized, church member. He is a fabulous example that God has used in many people's lives and probably in some of ours as a testimony. You and I want to live in such a way that our lives can be used by Christ to be a challenge to, you know, can I, can I say from a preacher's point of view, it is really a delight to be able to preach a funeral service for somebody who has a noble Christian testimony and life. And to be able to say, we know with confidence this person is with the Lord, they have served the Lord, and so we want to live that way so that we can leave a legacy behind that the Lord can use. The Acts chapter 10 is the story of Dorcas, or Tabitha is her name, that all the friends gathered and they were showing all the good things she has done. We mentioned 1 Corinthians 15, 29 already. But here's the thoughts that we were talking about the last few weeks. We should make sure we have preparations made for those we leave behind, and we talked about some of those things that we should be preparing. And I just want to highlight a couple of these ones once again, that to prepare our family and ourselves, we should not avoid exposing ourselves to the reality and hide our head in the sand and say death won't occur and I'm never going to go to do a funeral. I'm going to avoid all those things because it's difficult. No, no, no. Be wiser about it. Make provisions. We talked about maintain and make a will. This death file, again, I'm going to remind you that we gave you the paperwork on this as just kind of like a, uh, a uh, beginning sheet to work with that has a lot of this information. If you took those sheets that we have and we'll 
we'll have more Sunday in bound form for you. And if you want it electronically so that you can have it in your computer and be able to adjust, there will be a computer copy that you can get to contact the office. But it gives all that information that if something were to happen to you, somebody could go to that file and they would be able to know, have access, deal with your, um, your belongings, deal with your accounts. Again, this is private information. You want them to give it to a very trusted individual. But they would know even how to do the simple things. If you have, if you have your cell phone locked up, if you have your computer locked up, okay, the passwords are there that somebody can access those things and to be able to handle your affairs and to be able to help plan and know where they're going with your funeral and it takes such a great burden off the family. We make this other thought, we ended up on Sunday morning talking about this pre-plan your funeral. None of us like to do it. None of us want to think about it, but it's important. Even if you take the material that we gave you and write it out, that would be so helpful to families. Pre-planning makes it a whole lot easier for your family as we heard on Sunday evening and we had such a difference of different opinions at moments, nothing that was tragic, but it pointed out that those who had pre-planned, it was a whole lot easier than those who hadn't had any opportunity for pre-planning. And so it makes a big difference. You can reduce expenses, you can get things done as you prefer, you can direct the memorial gifts, and even in your death, being able to invest in the Lord's work by directing gifts that way. You can make sure the gospel is preached. There are so many benefits. By the way, speaking of expenses, let me just clarify because there was a, uh, couple, a couple questions afterwards and I thought I had stated it clearly, so let me state it clearly once again. The local costs that we have with local cemeteries, just to give you an idea, this is about the cost for a cremation. That does not include the cost for the funeral service, if you're going to have a viewing and what that would mean for the, for the funeral director to be involved in, or the obituary, or the flowers. All that is add-on costs. We're talking basic price for their service, the service of cremation. Now, what you do with those cremains, or if you have a service, that is something different. Okay, but you're talking basically around this area. And I did put this up. Some of you already are, I saw a couple of you already whispering, rent a casket? Yeah, it's being done. People will still, some will say, I want the traditional, so I will do the embalming, and then afterwards, then we'll have the cremation. Well, that would escalate your cost, obviously, but it's being done. And, in fact, Pennsylvania now has laws on the, on the books of how many times they can use a casket before they can stop renting it. And so it's becoming more of a common issue. The traditional funeral base price of the local folk that we have talked with and, and gotten and seen their contracts is right around six, 7000 That's the local ones. That would include your embalming. It does not include the variety costs of caskets. You can buy caskets from all different types of levels. It doesn't include the flowers. It doesn't include the, uh, the base price for your obituary, with, which, by the way, as you add lines to it, the more you do, the more they charge. Um, it doesn't deal with the vaults. Vaults all depend upon the cemetery. The cemeteries determine whether you need a vault, what type of vault. The cemeteries can charge for opening the ground. There's a local cemetery that many of you know about just down the road here that um, they are losing money because of the cremations because not as many are opening up. So they have adjusted their price accordingly. In order to open up for the cremains, and that is basically a hole that has got to be about a foot and a half to two feet deep, and just for the box, that's $1,100 for them to open up the hole. To do a full casket in that same cemetery is $1,400. So their prices are based on doing business, and so it's, it's, they're doing that in order to keep themselves in business, and all those are additional expenses. So if you see this price and you say, hey, Pastor Wayne's been lying to us. I went to the funeral home, and it cost us around that $10,000, $12,000. Well, I'm giving you the base price. 
There's all those other things that you choose that are beyond that. And the base price would include their basic services that the funeral home would have, such as for their facility, vehicles, things of that sort with the embalming, et cetera, et cetera. You could do it much cheaper, by the way. You can go another route that Pennsylvania now allows, and that is without embalming, but you just refrigerate. Now, they have laws on how long this can be, how many days you can refrigerate. Okay, instead of doing the embalming, and then once the ref- they're taken out of, this is so callous, once somebody's taken out of refrigeration, there's, an ex- there's a certain number of hours they have to be buried within. And so you can check into that. That's another option that is now available depending upon the facility that you're working with. And so uh, when you're planning these funeral and you're sitting down with, the, with uh, your paperwork or you're sitting down with family and talking about, just keep in mind a few of those thoughts that we were saying. And I would strongly remind you that there are are some very hard, hard moments. Closing the casket is very hard. If you're having a viewing, and if you're the family members, closing the casket, even though we know absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. We still, we still relay our loved ones. We tie them to their body. And so it's still a difficult time. Closing the casket is one of the real difficult times for many people at a funeral. And so if you're with an elderly parent, and they're doing the casket closing, and they've been married. For instance, we've had some that have been married just this, this last week. One of our families that we buried him two weeks, three weeks ago, they would have been mar- married 72 years this week. And so that was very hard for Doris, okay, uh, to think about. And so they did things a little bit different. But if you're standing there, and you're by a casket, and you have a loved one, you have a parent, please stand close to your parent. Because that moment of... of you know, if they, they, and they usually have you get a, not stand there and watch the closing anymore. But that moment of saying your final farewells, you can really go weak need. It's a very traumatic moment. The other that are the traumatic moments are walking away from that cemetery. Now, years ago, you used to watch, they used to bury, and they put it, the casket down. Not, not, that's not your typical. But um, walking away and thinking, I'm leaving my loved one in the ground. That's very hard. We made this, in the, and I think the military funerals, what the Gap does, for instance, are just fabulous. The flag, everything, I think it's, it's wonderful. But it can be un- disturbing when those guns go off, and it can cause a lot of emotions, just the, the suddenness. So be aware of some of those moments, that those are difficult. I would strongly advise, do a family time afterwards, if at all possible. Do that fellowship with your extended family that is so helpful. And here's the statement, it was stated again today, my, we don't get together at all until it seems like we're getting together for a... Yeah, yeah, so take advantage of it. Um, here's what I mentioned Sunday night. There is a trend that's happening in the, in the central PA more and more, and actually throughout Pennsylvania. The trend is becoming more and more families are going this route, uh, that they are doing the burial in the daytime, and there's an obvious reason why you do the burial in the daytime. Because the cemeteries are only open in the daytime. The gap is only open in the daytime. So they do the private family type thing with a smaller group, and then it's trending more and more. The funeral directors that I talked with this past week and a half, they said more and more families are doing the memorial service in the evening, and it's becoming even a lot of families are saying it's easier because they get the hard part done first, and then they have that, that time where then it's just purely an uplifting time. And so there's value to think about those options that you may have. What do you do when a loved one dies? And I'm being very, very practical here. If you're at home and you're providing hospice care, it's your grandparent, it's your parent, and you're providing care, here's some things you can expect. 
okay? Initially, if somebody passes away at home and you're there and you're the caregivers in the last, you're going to need to contact the authorities. Typically, most of you will find yourself in a hospice situation. I remind you that hospice does not mean that the individual is going to die within an immediate week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. It could be months. Hospice just means they are no longer going to be under a doctor's care where they are doing uh, ongoing life-saving type of services, operations, medicine like that. It means that you've come and now you're under comfort care level. And so you're under doctor's care, they're keeping an eye, but they aren't going to do any type of, of radical treatment. It is just going to make you comfortable for the inevitable. And that's basically what hospital does. It doesn't mean the person cannot communicate. It doesn't mean they can't even get up. They may be able to get up, move around, still be at that spot. But they're under hospice care, which moves them into a different phase of medical care. And with that, you have to already, if you're doing hospice, you must have already done prearrangement or they will require you to do prearrangement. So you're under hospice care. And when the person has expired or is expiring, you contact, they will send one of their people there. And they will do the pronouncing instead of the coroner coming. And they'll take care of those things. But you need to contact. The other thing that you may want to do is contact immediate family members. I caution people to delay in calling everybody. The reason I say that is because as soon as you start calling everybody, all the cousins, what question do they want to know? Especially if they're out of the area. What do they need to know? When is there a funeral? When is all this? You don't know at this point. You still don't know. So if you contact, you just briefly, or have somebody else make the calls for you in that emission of moments, the people you want right away is your support group, whoever that may be. Whoever to, in your mind is your best support system that you need at that moment, immediate family, um, could be your dearest, dearest friends, um, if you want we are at your disposal. We keep a cell phone by our bed. In fact, we do this with everyone who is in a situation where they're in hospice care. We always give them our cell phone numbers, tell them we keep it at our bed 24-7. When we're, when we're at home, we keep it around us so that if there's an emergency, they can call us. I will gladly come, come out in any time to be there at that moment to just help anybody through the situation. And, uh, and so we would come or whoever. And then someone in this, someone usually calls the funeral home. So the funeral home has been decided. So you're at home. Somebody's like passed away. And grandma, grandpa, whoever, you've, we're there. We're, we're talking. Well, the things I'm going to give you direction is find out for the funeral home. I'll make the phone call for you. And then arrange for the funeral home to come, which they will come within a short time. And uh, there are some difficult moments here. Just be aware of this is that in the difficult moments, there's a couple of them that are really difficult. One is, in it, if it happens in the hospital or happens at home, there is often a lot of people will say, we want every, all the relatives to come and to gather here at this moment. And so there's, and there's nothing wrong with this, but I want to caution you, okay? The person's body, without being prepared, is going to start showing deterioration and death pallor real quickly. They are going to start, all of a sudden, the color is going to change. Um, the visage is going to change. There could be secretions that are not pleasant, okay? And it all depends if some diseases will create more of a reaction. So if you're inclined to say, I want all the relatives to come to say farewell, for some people, it gives a very, very bad memory uh, that they're not prepared for in that immediate moment. That's not all the cases, Okay, But you may want to think this through of, do we need to have everybody come? Do we need to sit in the hospital for two, three, four, five hours? Because 
There's change happening in the appearance. Where if you wait until a viewing takes place, the person leaves a better memory. Okay. Um, with that in mind, the other area of time, if they come to your home, please do this. When the funeral home comes, they're going to do what they do, and they are going to be extremely respectful. However, they have certain procedures for how they move the body out of the house. Do not be there. Do not stand there and watch. Go in another room. Let them do their job. Walk away. Go into another part of the house. Or if you're with relatives that are going through this, ask them to go in the kitchen and just keep them preoccupied while the funeral people do their job of moving the person, taking the person, and putting their body in what's needed to be removing the body from the house and how they need to... They're going to have to bag the body. And that is unsettling for a lot of people. And so not seeing that, not being there, and, you know, and again, they're going to be very, very respectful. They're going to be, try to be very gracious. But there's certain things that people don't need to be watching and seeing. And for a lot of people at that moment with the emotions, it's just, hold up, let's go in the other room. Let's let them get their things taken care of, and then we'll come back out. And so if you're there and you're helping and guiding and giving advice, those are your two tough moments to keep in mind. Okay, it's all tough, but a couple things. The next 24 hours, here's what you're going to have as a family. You're going to have to meet with a funeral home. They're usually going to call you and set up a time whether they come to your house or you go to their place. But they'll call you and they'll set up the time. You're going to have to talk about all these items. You're going to be talking about if you don't have an idea, this is the stuff you need to talk about. You need to have some of this information when you go to meet with them. And so they need to have, they need to know within a quick period of time, what are they going to do with the body? How are they going to take care of the body? What have you decided? I mentioned on Sunday, there are state laws that require when you do the cremation, how many hours? And in, in holding that body. And so they have to know this information. In order to get the death certificate, they need some of this information. They need the parents' information. They need Social Security information. In order to do a funeral service, you need the military information if you're going to use the gap. Um, and so if there's a burial plot, if there's a graveside, they need that information. Your funeral home will do all this, and they'll do all the contact for you. You don't have to call the graveside, the cemetery. You don't need to call the gap. They'll do everything for you, but they need this information. So when you go to meet with them, you're going to have some of these details you're going to have to take care of right away. And then you have to discuss the service, and we'll be in touch and do that. You contact family, know the events. If you used hospice, you can plan on it within this next day or so. They're coming to pick up whatever bed, oxygen tanks, things like that. Now you also have, in our area, you have issues with medications. Okay, don't give the medications away. Okay? Those are prescription medications, and there's a way that they have to be disposed of. So be very, very cautious that you aren't distributing prescription painkillers, and you usually have them with hospice. You can't just be distributing them to anybody. Okay, so be very, very careful. By the way, you've got to be careful about other things. You've got to be careful with Social Security. There's a time frame that when that check comes and how it, what part of the month you get to keep that money or you have to turn that money back. And so be very, very cautious with those things. So get these people to slow down. They don't, won't be hungry. They won't want to sleep, but they need to rest to some degree. They should spend some time together. It's good. One of the things that the funeral homes often ask you to do and they offer is those collages where all of a sudden they have all these pictures that are kind of morphing from one end to another. You know what I mean? The video clips. 
Some of them are provided service that it's there and they can start with 27 pictures. Some of them go up to 39 pictures. It all depends on the funeral home. And they can get it, they can usually get it. If you get it to them, they can have a 24-hour period of turning it around and then having that video prepared. And so one of the things that we've seen a lot of people do as they go through the pictures, it's a good time. It's a memory time. It's a reminiscing time. And so that, I think that's beneficial. More than just having it at the funeral service, it is therapeutic for the family in those initial hours. Um, here's what happens is those first few days afterwards, you're going to go through the funeral events. It's going to be difficult. It's, you have the viewing if you choose to do that, a service of some sort. There's the family time. But it's almost like, if I can compare it uh, with something totally opposite spectrum, it's almost like some of you would say, I think back on my wedding, and it was almost like, I was there, but I went so kind of like, it was a weird situation. I did all this planning and all this preparing, and it was kind of like, whoa, he just kind of went through the thing, you know, kind of in a, in a haze or a fog. Same thing happens to people in a funeral. There's a haze, there's a fog, and you're just kind of going through and you're being directed and things are happening, you understand, you know what's going on, but it's still really, really difficult times. And so you're, then you're going to have to do the real difficult stuff. Within a short few days, you're dealing with lawyers, you're dealing with banks, you're dealing with Social Security office. Probably the hardest one there is Social Security office. Good luck getting the Social Security. They love to get our money quickly, but it's, talk about people that can mess up paperwork. It can happen frequently. Okay, and so insurance agents. Determine what, you know, some of you are going to, some of you have responded this way. We're not going to do anything with personal clothing, personal items. We're going to leave it set for a while. Some have responded and said, I want things moved soon because it's easier. This is so individualistic. It is so different. Some have said, I want personal items and I keep even the bed clothes or a T-shirt right there on the pillow next to me. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, That's, that makes perfect sense. But it's going to take some time, but you have to deal with some of these things. Here's a caution. Don't. Don't make major decisions. All of a sudden, a loved one has passed away. Deb or I have passed away, and the response is, I, I don't want to be in that same house anymore. I want to sell the house. And so next week, I've got the house. I'm making it sound like you're gone. Okay. Um, <clears throat> or vice versa. Next week, we're selling the house. That's a major, major decision that could very quickly become a regrettable decision. So if you're dealing with a parent, you're dealing with somebody, have them slow down on the major decisions. Because if you make a quick decision because you're trying to get out of an environment that could cause a lot of emotions, could you, could you hurt yourself financially? Yeah, so be very, very careful. And remember, you're guiding a loved one. You're guiding, you're guiding your adult child. You're guiding a brother, a sister. They may have others that they're responsible for, like their children. So they need to be very careful with their financial decisions because they have to take the long look. So you want to guide them in that direction. What can you expect from us? Here's some things that you could expect from us as, as this ministry. Um, we will be there as much as, as, as possible. Now, some of you are sitting here. Uh, we weren't there because we were out of town. We were on a missions trip. We were somewhere that we couldn't be there initially. But one of us, we try to get some of the staff there as much as possible. We'll help you plan a service. We'll share the gospel in the service. Um, I always make it clear that when I do a service, I, I'm, I might bring up the person and talk about them, but I'm focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today I heard from two people. Two of the people who were the guests at the funeral today, they said they have never heard that at a funeral service that somebody would preach the gospel. And they said, that was fabulous. And I sit there and go, what else should you be doing at a funeral service? 
I mean, what better opportunity than to share the hope that they're with Jesus Christ. The way I do it, and if you've not been to them, but most of you have, the way I do it is they talk and they give the tributes to the family, and then, and I think it's great if the family wants to give the tributes and do those things, and then I stand up and I make this comment, is there so much, many things that could be said about this individual? But I'm not the person to say those things, because you know them better than I do. I may have known, like Pearl, I've known since 1979. And I've known her quite a few years. Spent a lot of time with her, uh, the one that we did today. However, her family knows her even more than I do. So instead of me talking about her past, let me take the Word of God and talk about her present. And then I want to tell you what she's doing right now. You guys can talk all about what she did. But I can tell you based on the Word of God what she's been doing since, in her case, Sunday morning. And that gives me a segue right into the gospel and talking about what they're experiencing right now, that they've gone to be with the Lord. That idea absent from the body, present with the Lord, well, what does that mean? How are they feeling? What are they doing? What do they look like? What do they remember? Thoughts that come to mind. Do they even remember me or do they go into heaven and all of a sudden they're just an automaton that they don't remember any of us? Or don't they care about us? Are they having such a grand old time this, this happened to some of you. I send kids off to college. And of the four kids, one of them, when we dropped him off at college, just went into fetal position and said, don't leave me, don't leave me. How can you leave me here if you love me? So we're driving out with guilt. The other one, one of the others that we dropped off at college, it was like, goodbye, uh, bye. And they were off, you know, doing their thing. And it was like, okay, you know, we didn't hear from them for weeks. And it was like, don't you miss us? You know, what, you know, try calling. Oh, he got a call back later. He's out doing this. He's out doing that, you know. And it was like, whoa, college was a grand old time. He didn't miss mom and dad at all, you know, until he wanted to come home and needed a ticket, okay? <laughs> then we got a phone call. And you would never guess which one I'm talking about. Can't be who? Tony? <laughs> Never. Yeah, right. Right. So we don't do, what we do is we, we, we talk about, you know, the individual in this way. I don't eulogize. We'll provide a meal. I think this is the best ministry that we started years ago. We'll provide a meal. We'll take care of it as a church. We pay for it. We'll provide you an entire family meal. Um, we get to pick the menu. But we'll provide you an entire family meal that we will do the cooking. We will do everything so your family can just get together and relax. By the way, what a fabulous testimony you guys have had. Those of you who help with the meal, those who do it, you have really laid a good foundation for a witnessing testimony by that graciousness. We'll help get answers as best we can or direct you to the people, but I'm going to tell you up front, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know about Social Security a whole lot, but we'll, we'll guide you and direct you towards people. How do you adjust to a loss of a loved one? We heard about this on Sunday night from different people, so let me just make a couple comments. Let's remember that mourning is not wrong. It's not ungodly. It's not a sign of weak faith. I'm going to take you to one verse. Jesus wept. There is nothing ungodly about weeping over the loss of a loved one. Absolutely not. And by the way, when Jesus is weeping, does he know Lazarus is coming back? Yeah, yeah. So there's nothing, nothing ungodly about it. Don't expect things will return to a normal. You don't have a normal anymore. The same, nothing will ever be like it was. You have to develop a new normal. It's not going to return. It's not going to be the same. Going to your home that your parents, and then you see the recliner, the chair empty, it's a new normal. It's 
It's got to be a new normal. It's going to be totally different. Be patient. Time will help you. Focus on God's promises. Do not withdraw from society or family as we heard Sunday night. It is so important that you take responsibility and say, I need to be girding myself up and finding some assistance. Be careful to guard against anger and bitterness. By the way, now none of you have probably done this, but I've talked to a lot of people that they've even got angry towards the person who's passed away. Reasons? I know of that if they had taken better care of their health, they'd be with me right now. If you're the loved one, you're the, you're the spouse left behind, and you had nagged them to take medicines, and they didn't, don't be surprised that afterwards you might have a moment where you say, if only they had, they'd be here to help me through this frustrating moment of doing the taxes now. Okay? And you say, well, people, it can happen. It can happen that there's frustrations over decisions that didn't have to be at times. The, um, explore hobbies. Explore some hobbies, personal interests that you've never developed and uh, create those interests. Keep on praying even when heaven feels silent. Keep on praying. And it was alluded to Sunday night. Let me remind you again. You're going to have to go through the first. The first birthday of your parent. Your first parent's anniversary. They're not here. The first, your, your, your parent is a fisherman. Okay? And all of a sudden, it's the first time you hear this first that trout season is opened. Oh, there's a first. It's coming back. The first flower that they used to plant, their favorite flower, it'll trigger it. And your emotions are going to be like the sea waves that come in and go out. Come in and go out. It'll be at the oddest times, or all of a sudden it'll hit you. And there'll be the tears, there'll be the crying, there'll be the memory, and it doesn't go away immediately. It's going to be there for quite a while. And it can be the silliest things. All of a sudden you're walking and you get a whiff of a scent. And that scent reminds you of that loved one. And it'll happen. Those, the first Christmas, the first Easter, the first, first it was mentioned Sunday night, the first missions conference to come to church and your spouse isn't there or whoever that loved one is. The first time. Do you, do you realize how difficult it is for some of our widows, widowers, to come and sit in the same pew where they used to sit with their loved one? That's hard. That's hard. And by the way, should we add another thing? Whatever songs you pick in your funeral service, the first time you sing them, What's it going to take you back to? Flashback to the funeral. We have ruined more hymns <laughs> because it's those memories. And there's nothing wrong with those memories, but be prepared for that's going to happen to you. And for you, helping yourself, immerse yourself in some of those spiritual things that was mentioned Sunday night, how you can minister. Minister to the others. Reach out to the others who have been there. Help, help them. One of the key ways of ministering to yourself is ministering to others. Try to be a blessing. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 that we were dealing with on Sunday evening. Like Jesus Christ, we need to minister to the people around us. That's where most of us are at. Most of us are saying, okay, we're not in the thick of that situation, but how do we minister to another brother or sister, somebody here, somebody, somebody in my distant family? How do we minister? What should we say? What should we do? Now, you're going to hear a variety of opinions okay, and ideas. I'm going to lay this out in general, general statements, and you're going to have to specialize and individualize to the people that you know. But I think that most of this is applicable to everyone. What do you do for those individuals? Needless to say, you need to pray for them. You and I should be praying for our widows. In my prayer sheet that I have every week, I have the widows listed. And I add to them and, and widowers and pray for those individuals and keep them before the Lord because they need that help. Say little but listen a lot. You don't have to, as we heard Sunday evening, you don't have to preach, but just listen. 
even at times let them talk about their loved one. And I, they alluded to it on, on Sunday night. I've heard this frequently that it's like, you know, the heartache is nobody wants to talk about my loved one as if they never existed because they're afraid if we talk about they're going to make me cry. But they're still a part of my life. I still think about them. I still, uh, I still want to be around them. You were just saying that it came to an anniversary day with Jim. Even though you're remarried and Ken and you are happier than can be, it hit you the other day. You know, you said that. All of a sudden, just thinking about Jim's birthday, anniversary, there was a day. Then all of a sudden, it hits you. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it takes you back. And there's nothing wrong with being able to say, hey, Barb, I miss Jim as well. You know, that's good. That's good. You know, I remember a lot of those details. I remember coming from your house when he was going through the illness and I got stopped by the state police in the middle of the night who thought I was a drunk driver and I was just lollygagging around and then you guys called me and said all kinds of things to me. Um, state police, yes. Unless you've gone through some of the same experiences, don't talk about, you can't do this. Oh, Deb, I understand your great, your great agony. I can appreciate it. You know, I lost a, a goldfish and... Um, you know how some people make everything about themselves? That it's always about themselves? Don't do that. Don't do that. And it's very hard to put ourselves in that person's shoes unless we've been there. But at the same time, don't have to give the platitudes. Be careful what you say. Be, be very careful. Uh, there's some more here that says don't use the trite phrases. Don't need to say a whole lot. Just be there. Just be there. You know, Sunday night we heard, it, we heard a variety of opinions. That some said that, you know, those initial few days uh, we, we didn't want a lot of company. Others responded and said, and responded even afterwards saying, we, we craved the company. The big difference between those comments was how much planning and preparing they were able to do ahead of time as I compared afterwards and did the conversations. For those who think they, they didn't have the pressure because they had opportunity to plan and prepare. They took advantage of the opportunity to prepare compared to some who had no warning. Everything was crises and sudden. It made a big difference in, in the responses of, okay, everything was done. I didn't have all the pressure those first few days. I craved the company at that moment. When it was more of the shock situation, I had a lot to do, then it was more of, I can only handle so much company. So it really, don't, don't say, okay, I, we should all stay away. It depends on the individual. It depends on the case. And somehow finding out, offering, if it's offering to them, if it is okay to stop by for a few minutes. Be very specific with the offer, but offer. Don't run away from the people. Let them know you want to be there and will be there if, they, if this is an appropriate time or we'll wait until later and make that offer. Attend any viewing or service. You do not know how important it is to those people that they have their church family rally around them just to show up, just to be showing a concern and, and help. Watch the individual's health, especially if you're dealing with some elderly folk that you are helping to your parent, to your loved ones. Watch how they're eating, how they're sleeping, how they're handling things. We heard this Sunday night, I thought it was fabulous to repeat, that is be specific in what you can do. Don't just lay out and say, anything you can do, we can do, let me know. That is too nebulous. Be very specific. Can I run and do an errand at the store? Can I take and drop off a bill for you? Can I mow your lawn? Be extremely specific in offering your help. It is easier for them to take a specific, and as well, they may be forgetting those things. They may be forgetting they need groceries. They may be forgetting they need to drop off a bill. They may be forgetting something because their minds are going in so many different areas. Be specific in your offer. Send cards, notes. Um, in the last three funerals, 
funerals that we did with some of our peoples in the church, all three of them, when I've gone in the days, usually I make visits within the few days afterwards <clears throat> and uh, follow up because it gets quiet around their house when everybody leaves. And we try to come by. Every time I get handed a whole stack of cards. They say, look through these. Look through these. How meaningful the cards are that you cared enough that you would take those moments. Pray for them. Visit them or invite them out. Invite them over. Take them out to just a lunch. Ask if you can take them. Draw, you know, do you need? I'll run you to the store. And we can get something and just to get them out of the house, to help them out. Give them time and space to mourn so that they can deal with their, their, uh, their loneliness. Don't rebuke them for mourning. Don't say, hey, you shouldn't be sad. Which, it's appropriate. It's appropriate. Unless they've come to a point where you can see that it is self-destructive, it is turning into bitterness and poor testimony, don't press them into making major decisions. Mom, you've got to make a decision. What are we going to do? Dad died last week. Let's decide what we're going to do with you for the rest of your life. Okay? Dad, what are we going to do with the car? Mom, you know, Dad, Dad was your chauffeur. And so we should make a decision for a car. We know you have a license, but you, you didn't like to drive, so we're going to get rid of your car. Really? You want to be the one to take your parents' car away? You know, God bless you if you have that, you, you want to live with that. Okay. That is one of the hardest things to do with an elderly person is to take away their license or their car. Do I think it should be done? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, frequently. You know, that's why, that's why I call, tell the doctor and let the doctor do it medically. But, um, but be careful. I'm pressing into major decisions, okay? Let them be patient in addressing those things. Again, talking about practical things. You can be doing these things for them. The holidays, don't forget. We're busy at the holidays. And by the way, we were just talking about this uh, with the Newtons when, um, before we announced that they already got their news uh, already last Tuesday or so. And so we were just cautioning, being careful. And we were talking that afternoon and just saying, isn't this amazing? We're sitting here in the spot knowing what report she's going to hear from the doctor tomorrow because it, it came through, unfortunately, it came through an email. And, um, and so we're sitting there and we're crying, we're praying. And then we, there was a little bit of recouping thoughts. And we were all sitting there just watching everybody moving around in this store. And made the comment, life, go, it's short, but life goes on. How life, everybody's life goes on. You were sitting the foursome with real tragic news, but everybody else is, oh, by the way, somebody here could have tragic news today, and what are we doing tonight? The rest of us, our life is, we're going on. We're going, is that evil? It's the way it is. It's the way it is. So, but when our life goes on, we should remember these people, the holidays, the special days, to let them know. Encourage them to get involved again. Do you realize that what it means for some of them? They're single again. They have to readjust to life as a single individual, which is difficult. It's because, because here's what happens. Here's what happens. You were friends as a couple. All of a sudden, when your partner's gone, you're no longer a couple. You feel like you're the, the third wheel. Okay? And not only that, some people who are insecure in their relationships, they don't, they don't want you around. Okay? And so there's a real awkward situation that is created for some folk, and it's kind of, okay, my friends, are, my friends that we had, it's not the same anymore. 
You need to reach out and to say, let's try to keep some of it. There's a new normal here, but let's try to keep some of that, that newness and that normal. Encourage them to minister. Even if that means you ask them, let's go and visit. Here, here, let's go. Barb, come with us. Let's go visit so-and-so who's gone through this. You might be able to help that person out. Let's all of a sudden, you know, Nancy would sit here normally and say, Nancy, come with us. We're going to take you out to Arby's, and on the way we're going to stop and see so-and-so who's very lonely as well. And then we sit there and watch those two yammer, 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 yammer. Okay? But it provides an opportunity for them to minister and to reach out. So do those types of things. Number 16, remind them, uh, remind others around us. I, I, I don't keep up well with birthdays and anniversaries, but I really don't keep up well with anniversaries and birthdays of people who have passed away. And so family members remind us. So you will know, remind others around that, hey, by the way, did you know that this is their day coming up? To be able to hear and be able to contact, that would be helpful. This passage, remember, do unto others as you would have them. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be very blunt. I hear people get frustrated that others didn't show a caring concern when they had a loss. Okay? And I understand that. But that means when others have a loss, if you're going to complain to me about others not showing it, then you better come up to the plate when others are having the loss. Don't criticize others if you don't do it yourself. They don't show up for when we have a viewing or a family. Then, then are you there? Are you there when others? Do you send the cards? Do you send the notes? Have you made the calls? Well, you don't understand. I'm too busy. Do unto others as you'd want them to do unto yourself. Remind them of the hope and promises. Remember John 14. The disciples are absolutely devastated because Jesus says, I'm leaving. I'm dying. I'm laying down my life. He makes it very clear. I'm laying down my life. They don't take it. I lay it down. I'm going to die. They are devastated. What does he do with those devastated disciples when he is going to be dying and they're going to have to deal with death? He tells them about heaven. He gives them the hope passage, the John 14, 1 through 6. Talk about the hope without being... being, unreal, uncaring, superficial, but from the genuine bottom of your heart, help them by giving them the hope and the help and to sit there. And we've had, we've had a lot of these conversations, Gail, right, where we talk about what Claude could be doing right about now, you know, you know, did he get his beard cut finally? I hope so, okay? He's got to look better with that beard cut, absolutely. Yeah, um, and we talk about, you know, the things that we remember. Yeah, but the resurrection, and remembering and thinking about the hope that one day you're going to be together with him forever and ever and ever. And there might be one of those moments you say, Lord, just a break for another week. Uh, (laughs) No, no, after you have the loss, that won't happen. But there's the hope. You're heaven bound and bound with him. Yeah. Now, we won't have that same relationship. We all know that. But there's going to be companionship in that regard. And so it gives hope. It gives help that we can still joke about the individual, love the individual, talk and say that we miss the individual, but it sure be good when we're resurrected and we're all together. And, won't it be, and I tell you, the thought that just permeates my mind the last two, three Sundays is this thought. Won't it be great to have all the generations together? Wow. Wow. Your entire family together with you in heaven. 
What better, what better thought could you be? All your relatives, your friends, your kids, your grandkids, your brothers, your sisters, the greatest thing would be you're all in heaven. You're all in heaven. The greatest tragedy would be they're not. They're not. Are you born again? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Father, with that hope, I pray that you would help every one of us to be confident of our eternal destiny, to help us to have that, that assurance that we're with you one day and that we'll be with family members. Help us to wisely minister to others who are going through this, to reach out, not to be afraid, but with compassion and boldness, do what we can to encourage and to help so many of our friends and family members who are going through these lonely times, these tough times. I pray help us for dealing with parents and dealing with brothers and sisters and some of the elderly aunts and uncles in our families to know how to wisely assist them and to plan and to prepare for the inevitable that will happen unless you tarry. And I pray that you would help us to be a good witness for the glory of Jesus Christ in whose name I pray. Amen. Thanks.